0: This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier.
1: Reason being, we are starting a brand new series. Who else is excited for a brand new series? This one in particular I'm really excited about. The title of the series you just saw on the trailer is Kingdom of Heaven. Now, Matthew is the only gospel that talks about the kingdom of heaven. The other three, Mark, Luke, and John, always refer to it as the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I believe that Matthew did that. He was writing to Jews. So Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is writing specifically to the Jews. Luke is writing to the Greeks. Mark is writing to the Romans. And John is writing to the Gentiles, us, those that weren't grafted in. And he uses the kingdom of heaven to teach the Jews. They thought that their coming messiah was going to come back and a lot of power and a lot of pomp and a lot of control those of us know jesus that that's not how he came back at all and so when you talk about any kingdom and and any type of kingdomship, right if you take off the king you just have what good morning woodland hills when you take off the king you just have what good if those of you can't respond you're probably what we're saying right now okay so when you take off the king you just have Okay, and the reason I'm pointing this out is for a couple reasons. One, there's this period of judges in the Old Testament where they didn't have a king. And they did really dumb things. They had judges. They had Deborah. They had had these different judges. But they kept going through this cycle of sin. And they repent. And then they fall into it again. They repent. they fall. So they cried out to God, God, give us a king. They wanted a king. And so God finally raises up Saul. He had no heart for God. And then following Saul was David. He had a whole heart for God. And then following him was Solomon. Solomon had half a heart for God. And then following them, the kingdom gets divided into the southern and the northern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And you have 42 kings, right? But no kingdom exists without its king because without a king, it is just? Good job. My point to all of that and the point that Matthew understood and what he was on top of Heaven without Jesus is just, it's just dumb. So any of us in here that have this idea, like, I want to go to heaven, I want to be in heaven, I want to be in that kingdom, but don't have any thought of being with Jesus, you're just dumb. And I love you, but yeah, I just called you dumb. And, and here's why. Heaven without Jesus is not heaven. It, heaven is all about Jesus. That's what heaven is about. It's about the one who took away our sin. It's about the one who we will praise and worship forever. That's why we're in heaven, is to praise and worship Jesus. Heaven is not about us. Heaven is about us never having to taste death again, or cry, or mourn, or any of those things. But heaven is all about Jesus. And if you take Jesus about heaven, that's dumb. If your only idea, I just want to be in heaven so that I don't ever have to burn forever, because that sounds wretchful, right? That sounds painful, You're missing the whole point of heaven. The whole point of heaven is the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's the whole point of heaven. And so as we unpack this series, the kingdom of heaven, the whole thing is about Jesus. That's why I'm so excited about this series. And specifically, the whole series is going to go through Matthew. Because I just told you, only the gospel of Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven and refers to it. And so specifically, as we look at the first parable, we're going to look at part one today is looking at the parable of the weeds, also known as the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? One thing that is fruitful and one thing that is not fruitful. So if you have your Bibles and you like to follow along that way, you can. We're going to be in Matthew 13. If you don't, don't worry. You can just follow along on the screen. We're going to get after it. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. And, and Jesus spoke in parables a lot. Why? Not to see if they were smart, because he loved using word pictures. One of the sweet staff members saw me walk in with this this morning. She goes, oh, I love it. You always got little props. I go, they're not props. They're not gimmicks. They're word pictures to help the people better understand the point I'm trying to illustrate. Gimmicks. And so Jesus did the same thing. Jesus tried to use word pictures. He tried to drive point home so they would better understand it. And Jesus is so Grace and patient and everything else. There's, uh, many times through the Gospel of Matthew, as you read it, he tells the parable, and then they'll come back and be like, uh, "Jesus." We didn't understand that parable. All right, dumb disciples, let me explain it to you. And then he actually explains the parable. And so rather than reading the parable and then going through the explanation of the parable, I'm actually gonna explain the parable Why we go through it that Jesus later explains a couple of verses later. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. Who do you guys suppose the man is here in this verse? Well done, you're in church 99% of the time, just say Jesus and you're gonna be right. Well done. Amen, come on. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. That is the son of man. That is Jesus. Jesus is the one who sows the good seed in his field. Matter of fact, Jesus sows nothing evil in our life. He only sows what is good. Now you'd be like, well, hold on, Adam. I I surrendered my life. I'm following Jesus. I've been doing Bible study. And it seems like the more I press into Jesus, all this evil stuff is going around me. Well, we're going to explain that. But Jesus only sows what is good. So maybe you've surrendered your life to follow Jesus and you feel like your whole life is falling about. Jesus only sows what is good. Matter of fact, there is nothing good in any of us, front of the line, nothing good in any of us in this room apart from who? Good job. You're in church 99% of the time. Okay. Outside of Jesus, there is nothing good living in any of us. Matter of fact, Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says good teacher and Jesus responds what why do you call me good there is only one who is good he was the one he was tricking the rich young ruler to see if he knew who he was right there's only one who is good and that good is Jesus and so that good sower that man who is sowing he only sows is good nothing sinful is from Jesus so if you're in a relationship That's not equally yoked. So if you're a believer and you're dating a non-believer, that is not from Jesus. Jesus will not and cannot contradict the word of God. If, If you're living in a sinful lifestyle and you want to justify it thinking, oh, God gave me this. No, 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 no. Nothing sinful is from Jesus. Matter of fact, sometimes difficult things are from Jesus, but not sinful things can be from Jesus. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that God works all things for Good for those he's called according to his purpose. So even the difficult things in your life, he's going to work for good. He is the epitome and the source of everything and all that is good. He does not want evil in your life. And he won't put evil in your life. Matter of fact, he's fighting on your behalf. His angels are fighting war on your behalf and the spiritual forces of evil. That is what he's doing for you. So you can never say, I can never say, That something evil or sinful is from Jesus. He does not sow anything that is evil or sinful. He only sows that which is good. It goes on to say in verse 25, but while everyone was sleeping, who do you think everyone is? Everyone is us. Okay, in this parable, everyone is us. Everyone is in here. Everybody's watching online. That is everyone. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy, him being Jesus, who's his enemy? Good job. So his enemy came and sowed weeds, not wheat. Weeds. What do weeds do? It's, it's about to be spring. What do weeds do? They kill things, they destroy things. They, they destroy the things that are actually good. That's what weeds do. That's why there's weed, weed killer and different things to try to get rid of the weeds. And, and we know the best way to get rid of the weeds is not weed killer, it's actually what? Pull them up from their roots. It's actually the best way to get rid of weeds, and and that's what his disciples think. Watch. Among the wheat, and they went away. Satan only sows evil. It's, it's It's the only thing he does. He only sows evil in your life. Now, it might look pretty for a short time, or it might look attractive and alluring. That's his job, right? But Satan is real, and so is hell. Oh, great. I came to church this morning to listen about Satan and hell, which we don't talk about a lot. I get it. But hell is real, and so is Satan. And it's important to understand, not as a scare tactic. I don't believe in ever scaring somebody into salvation. But the reality is there is an enemy, and he hates you. And he hates your family. And he hates your job. And he hates your kids. And he hates your witness. And he hates everything about you. But he never comes out and says, hey, I hate you. We would run. We don't run to people that hate us. Hey, tell me more how you hate me. I want to hang out. No, we we don't do that. And Satan doesn't do that, right? So nothing holy is from Satan. He hates you and he only sows that what is evil in your life. And so even in the time being, you might think it's something really good for you, but he's planted it to where it might five, ten years down the road manifest itself in a really evil way in your life. It could be something as small as where one drink turns into ten or one glance turns into an addiction or, or, or one flirt turns into an affair it's the smallest most subtle way he doesn't show up like we think he shows up with this red mask and these horns and this tail and this pitchfork and say come follow me no that's, that's not what he does at all that's not how satan operates himself. matter of fact scripture says like he's still here right i'm not trying to freak anybody out but first peter 5 8 says your enemy the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour 1 John 5:19 says, we all know that we're children of God and the whole world is under control of the evil one. Just for a time being, I've read the whole story. I know who wins in the end. Jesus is coming back for a time being. He's roaming. He's roaming this earth trying to take people out, trying to plant evil seed amongst us. That's what he's trying to do. He, he's circling the heavens fighting spiritual warfare and he's on this earth trying to take out all of the believers of Jesus. He's mad. He's ticked. He's bitter. He's like an Eagles fan, okay? He, he, he <laughs> He he doesn't know how to handle defeat. He's mad. He's really ticked. And so he's either really delusional and believes that he can actually flip the script, which I don't think is the case, or he's just really mad and he wants to take as many people with him as possible so he's not lonely for eternity. Right? It goes on to say in Matthew 13, 26 through 28, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So they came up at the same time. The believer and the non-believer came up at the same time. Those following Jesus and those not following Jesus came up at the same time. And the owner's servants, so Jesus' servants, who are Jesus' servants? Well done, that's us. Came to him, Jesus, and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed? Yes, that's all he sowed. so they're confused. They're like, wait a minute. We know all that you sow is good, Jesus, in your field. Then where did the weeds come from? If you only sow that was good, why is there evil amongst us? An enemy did this. Satan did this, he replied. Now know this. The enemy wants to destroy you, period. That's all he wants to do. And it it might not look like that, but he'll do the most subtle way, and he wants to destroy you. That's why he, he comes to seek, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. See, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's, it's only. It literally says, the thief only. In that passage in John 10, 10, it says, only. The only reason he comes is to steal, kill, and destroy. There's no other good in him. That's all he wants to do. And so when you look at these two formed heads, you're thinking, Jesus, why don't we just get rid of them right away? Why do they have to live amongst us? Why do they even need to be next to us? I don't understand. Well, let me show you a picture of why he doesn't do it right away. So the Greek word for this weed is zizanion, okay? Zizanion, also known as darnell, is a really toxic weed. Matter of fact, some people in ancient day would actually put it in their bread and things and get a little buzz. It'd get a little dizzy, but if you take too much of it, it could literally kill you. It's a toxic weed. But you see, this is actual wheat on the left, and this is actually Darnell on the right, this toxic weed. And you can see in the early stages, a farmer couldn't tell one from the other. You couldn't tell the two apart. So when they come to the master and say, hey, why don't we pull this weed out? And they say, well, hold on. We don't know yet. We'll know soon enough. We'll, We'll know pretty soon whether or not they're truly walking with Jesus or if they're truly not because a more harvested or a ripe wheat looks like this look so you can see when they fully harvest or fully ripe wheat doesn't split off wheat wheat, wheat looks like a healthy thing at the end of zizaneon or darnell, it starts to split off and that's how you can tell and these are the end of the harvesting age of the of the plant right and, and so you can't separate them because you don't know what yet. And then at the end of the time, you're going to be able to know which is which. And that's what Jesus is saying is by the time it comes to harvest or by the time it comes to that individual takes their last breath or when I come back, I'm going to be able to tell who is really mine and who is not. Right. It was crazy, too, was what we need to understand is the reason the disciples would understand this so well is, is so much of their culture was around agriculture. They didn't have grocery stores. This is where they were walking. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees try to come after Jesus on Sabbath. He breaks grain. And what does he do? He eats it. And they try to come after him. Why are you eating on the Sabbath? He goes, well, you're dumb because I'm the king and I can do what I want. He didn't call the Pharisees dumb. I did. But, you know, he might have thought it. And and so that's how you tell the difference in between these. And so at the end of the day, you're either going to be wheat or you're weed. And so like, well, how do we tell the difference? Because the reality is. This is hard to tell the difference until the very end. And Satan loves to disguise himself almost looking really attractive. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says this, that he masquerades as an angel of light. Think about that. That's not the cartoon picture we have of Satan at all. The red mask, the horns, the pitchfork. No, no, Satan loves to make evil things look really good. But the only thing that is good comes from where? Jesus, that's it, it's the only thing that is good comes from Jesus. And so he loves to masquerade as an angel of light. He loves to make evil things look very attractive. He, looks, he loves to make addictive things look non-addictive. He loves to make things that don't belong to you look like they belong to you. He loves to make harmful things look non-harmful. That's what it means by he masquerades as the angel of light. He makes things look attractive in your life that will actually kill, steal, and destroy your soul, right? And and so we got to be mindful that he doesn't show up like we think he shows up. He's very tactful. He's very deceitful, and he's very manipulative. He didn't show up to Eve in the mask. He showed up in a snake, which I thought that would have been red flag enough for her, but obviously it wasn't. But the way he just twisted it and turned it just enough to get her to believe the lie. For some of us, he just shows up in daily conversations that we have that are toxic or friends that we have that are toxic right so when you talk about the wheat and the weed and being around certain people and that darnell the opposite of wheat is actually toxic you have to ask yourself well, how many conversations do i have with people that actually drive me to toxic places and we'll talk about that here in just a second so he masquerades as an angel light and he wants to destroy you check out this video
0: if i was the devil if i was the devil Tell you what I'd do. I would try to deceive you and get you into error. I would get you off base. And if you still stayed true, I would try to disqualify you. I would get you immoral. I would get you where no one would believe what came out of your mouth. I would make you a tabloid where nobody believed. I would remove your confidence where you were afraid to speak because your life was such a shambles. I would get you into sin. I would prowl like a roaring lion to devour you morally. And if I couldn't do that, I would try to make you successful. And I would distract you if I couldn't disqualify you. I would get you busy. I would get you so distracted and disattracted from the gospel that no longer would your prayers be about holiness and souls. They would only be about the bottom line in your business. I would get you materialistic. Material. And no longer concerned about the spiritual nature of life. If I couldn't do that, I would divide you. If I couldn't divide you, I've almost lost you. You know what I'd do then? I would discourage you. Then, if I couldn't discourage you, I'd try. To do this. I would. I would try my best. That's what I would do to take
1: you out. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Right? And so, so, so he he does all these deceitful things to to plant as much weeds around you as he possibly can. And, and the reality is, the more wheat we're along as believers the better off we're going to be like you got to decide like in my life am I surrounding myself with people that are toxic am I surrounding myself with Darnell right and sometimes you may be the toxic person because of everywhere you go and every place you encounter there's the same problem it's not the places you go and the people and you encounter it's the common denominator and 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 if every service you come to and you're like man I wish so-and-so heard it no God wanted you in here for you to hear it And so when we always point to someone else, we might be that toxic person that's not receiving the fruitful message that God has for us. And who we surround ourselves matters, right? If every phone call you have with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever it is, and it's always gossip and it's always pointing you towards Darnell rather than wheat. I don't know if those people are wheat in your life. I don't know if there are people that are going to produce fruit in your life. Who we surround ourselves matters. Matter of fact, the disciples used a word called koinonia. It was fellowship, and who we fellowship matters. And so the question is: Does your mother or does your father, or the people you talk to most of the time, the people you interact with, do they point you closer to Jesus? Or do they push you more towards toxicity, more towards gossip and just cloak it in prayer? Hey, we need a prayer for this person. This, 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 this this isn't going on, right? The disguise of gossip, let's just cloak it in a prayer request, right? Or do the people you hang around with actually push you more towards the good sower, the good farmer, who is Jesus, right? How many of you have ever been to Target? Yeah, you've all been to Target, right? And walking down, here's a picture of Target from a man's perspective and a woman's perspective. (laughs) The thing I appreciate about this illustration the most is regardless, both of them somehow made it into the Nerf aisle. Any of you ever walked in the Nerf aisle? Yeah, it's all of you. You can see from the picture. All of you have been in the Nerf aisle. And I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old boy. And so I walk in the Nerf aisle often. And as a matter of fact, the inventor of Nerf, Nerf, had a son that got smoked by a baseball stitches. And so he thought, man, what if we could create things just to soften? All the World War II vets are in there like, are you kidding me? Nerf is so soft. Just let them get stitches, right? But he invented Nerf so that kids wouldn't get hurt because we want to Nerf everything for this culture. And so he created Nerf. And so you walk down the Nerf aisle and there's Nerf balls and Nerf darts and Nerf guns and Nerf bullets and Nerf swords. And everything's Nerf and everything's soft. But you know what I've never seen in a Nerf aisle when I walk down that aisle? I've never in my life seen a Nerf sharpener. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Because nerf doesn't sharpen nerf. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron. So one man, one woman sharpens another. Are the people in your life wheat or darnell? Are they toxic or are they fruitful? Right? And I know this. If I was going to war with any of you, I want to go to war with someone who has an iron sword and not this sword. That's just the facts. And so as we're going to war and we're at war, I told you the enemy is here. He's trying to take all of you out, including me. Who am I going to war with? Who am I surrounding myself with? Is it we or is it Zizaneon, right? So 1329 says, the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He says, No emphatically he's like no he answered because while you're pulling the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them you may uproot those who are actually fruitful walking with jesus and and accidentally take the wrong person but he's saying you're still going to live amongst them and so my young people justify it like this all the time man jesus went to bars and he was hanging out with tax collectors and he was hanging out at parties and that's who jesus was i'm like yeah and he also walked on water i don't see you doing that my guy so it's really easy to justify the people around him, But you, the reality is every time you get around something, you're either being influenced or you're doing the influencing. And so who you surround yourself with is so important. I just got a text yesterday from a former player. He's like, now I understand why you didn't want us to listening to secular music all the time when we were working out. Alluding to an NBA player that just made a really dumb post this weekend. Music is influential. And, and the people we surround ourselves with are influential. And the conversations they have, as we drag into those conversations and the behaviors they have, all those things influence and rub up against us. Nerf does not sharpen nerf, right? And, and so it's important here, and I, and I don't want any of you in here ever to question your salvation. I don't want you sitting here like, man, I don't know, am I saved? Am I in? Am I out? What's going on? I don't want to drive fear in any of you. But, but scripture makes it really clear on whether or not you're wheat or you're not makes it really clear if you're going to heaven or you're not and, and so scripture says that if you have confessed with your mouth and you have believed in your heart that jesus is lord and you believe that he was died buried emptied the tomb ascended and he's coming back then you're wheat. And, and ephesians 1 13 says that at that moment you've been marked in him with the holy spirit a promised deposit guaranteeing our inheritance you can't lose your salvation but but it's important to know whether or not you've ever truly surrendered your life to Jesus. And I think that's the safe question to ask. Because scripture says there's ways that you'll know that. One of the ways it says you will know you di- Jesus says you'll know you're my disciples by the way you love. By the way you love other people. People will know that you're Jesus' disciples just by the way you love people. Even your enemy, yes, Matthew 5, 43. Yes, even your enemy, even the people that think different politically than you do, even people that speak toxic on, on social media. Yes, you will know you're my disciples. You will know that you are wheat by the way you love other people. That's what the scripture says. The, the other one it, it says is that you will bear fruit. John 15. You will bear fruit and fruit that will last. There will be fruit in your life from following and living for Jesus. Believers will see fruit in their life. 1 John 1 says that there will be conviction in your life, which leads to repentance and obedience. You will walk in obedience to the scripture if you are truly weak. That's what it says, right? It says you'll be sanctified. So when you come to know Jesus, Jesus says, okay, you made it. No, no, no. It says there's a process that begins, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. That he's going to take you through the sanctification process where at the time you came to know Jesus and 10 years later, you won't be the same person. Jesus does not and will not let you grow. I mean, we'll stop, we'll stop you from growing. You're going to grow. That's a part of coming to know Jesus. The other thing it says is that you will have the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. John 14, 26. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He gives you discernment. He teaches you. He gives you conviction. And he helps lead you, leads you towards the good farmer. Those things should be in your life as a believer. Now, if you just became a believer six months ago, you might not see those things manifesting themselves as quickly. But it says in Scripture that those that have surrendered their life to Jesus, there will be love, there will be fruit, there will be conviction, and there will be growth and repentance over their poor decisions. That's what Scripture says. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you that. Because Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That word fear there is reverence. So understand that God has saved you. And grow in your obedience. Grow in your knowledge of him. Grow in him. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you shouldn't remain stagnant as a believer. And that is how you know if you are wheat or if you are Darnell. A toxic thing that is trying to influence and pull other people down because they don't want to surrender their life for his. Which when Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die is gain, he's not telling you to die for him because the reality is in this culture, living for him can be even harder than dying for him. It goes on to say in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, let both grow together and tell the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvester. Who's the one calling the shots? Jesus. Jesus knows our heart. I don't know our heart. That's why I said I'm not questioning anybody's salvation in here. Jesus is the one that knows our heart. He gets to sit on the throne. Praise God, I don't have to sit on that throne. Because when I stand face to face before him and he asks me why I should get to go to heaven, I don't get to answer that in the first person. I don't get to say because I, because I did this or because I did. No, 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 no. The only answer that's going to suffice to Jesus is in the third person. Jesus, the only reason I get to get in is because you, because what you did on the cross, because what you did for my sins, because the life you lived that I should have lived, because the death you died that I should have died, because you defeated the tomb, because you took the crown of thorns, because you took the whipping, because you did it, Jesus. There's nothing I did to get me into heaven. It's everything you did. And that's why he's the one in control. At that time, I, being Jesus, will tell the harvesters. He's in charge. He's the boss. He is the king in the kingdom. And without him, it's just, thank you. First, collect the weeds. So now they can tell. He can tell them, hey, now now collect the weeds. You can see they've harvested. You can tell they're not really living for Jesus. There's no fruit in their life. That is a toxic weed. Collect those weeds and tie them in bundles to be, what is he referring to? Yeah, I'm not trying to scare anybody, it, it, it's real. Heaven and hell are real, like, and, and, and to be burned. Like, like to, to be burned, to, to, to grab the people that weren't in Jesus, and they are going to hell, that's a real place, right? And, and I want to say this, too. It's completely normal, like, because it's faith, right? And it's completely normal to even have a little bit of fear of heaven, or to fear of dying. That's why it's called faith. And some people just think, like, man, if I was really a believer, would I be scared of dying? Yeah, I think that's natural, that's the the flesh part of us. But we have faith to believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And then gather the wheat, who's the wheat? Well, if you believe Jesus, you're right, that is us. Those that said us, that believe Jesus, you're right. The wheat, the followers of Jesus, and bring it into my barn, what's the barn? It's heaven, it's heaven. And, And I once heard a friend of mine, a mentor of mine say, if you can imagine heaven, that's not it. That's, that's how amazing it is. And, and we don't like to think about heaven because, because it can be overwhelming. It can be daunting. It can just be too much. But let me remind you what John, the revelator, says that, that heaven actually is in 21 verse 4. Heaven is where he, being Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Death has lost its sting. It shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying. And every parent of a nine-month or younger said, oh, praise heaven. Heaven, come quickly. Come quickly. Nor crying nor pain anymore. I, I have a close loved one to me that I don't want them to die, but I long for the day that they get to be in the presence of Jesus. It's just in a lot of pain which is causing pain for people close to me. It's just, just a lot of pain. And so when I think of heaven, it actually brings me hope and joy, not the opposite. This in here, where we're at today, is so temporal. And we get so fixated on the temporal, we forget that there's a bigger plan and a bigger purpose, right? And where there's no pain in me. For the former things, the things we're living in now, have passed away. They're gone. And, and I think as believers, the more we actually think of heaven, the more we reflect on heaven, the more worry dissipates. The more the illusion of trying to gain control loses its grip. The more bitterness fades. When, when we think about heaven and what truly matters, everything begins to just fade away. There's a story, 1952. A lady named Florence Chadwick. And she was gonna set out to swim from the Catalina Islands to the coast of California. It's a 26 mile swim. If you think 26.2 miles is a long way to run a marathon, try swimming for 26 miles. So Florence Chadwick was going to swim this 26 miles from the Catalina Islands to the California. As far as they knew, she'd be the first to ever do it. And so she gets a team around her in little boats as they're going to make this trek, and to watch out for sharks and any dangers. And she starts swimming. It's a beautiful day in California. Any of you ever been? I grew up in South, Southern California. The marine layer comes in. And so so she she gets in, and she's 15 hours into the swim. 15 hours just swimming in the Pacific Ocean. And sure enough, the marine layer comes in, and the the fog hits. And so she can no longer see what's ahead of her. And she swimmed at this point, but she doesn't know it. She swimmed about 25.3 miles, which means she has 0.7 miles left. She doesn't know that, and the people in the boat don't know that. There was no GPS satellite systems in 1952 for her. So she tells her team, hey, I'm done, pull me out. They get her in the boat, and sure enough, 0. .7 miles, the shore was right there. She was that close, 15 hour swim, and she stopped. But she realized how close she was, so a couple months later, she's gonna try to do the same thing, 26 mile swim. She goes, beautiful day, starts out at Catalina Island, heads to the 26 miles towards the California coast. She starts swimming. Sure enough, just like last time, here comes that marine layer like clockwork, comes in, And the fog comes in but she makes it to the coast this time and then they interview her and they ask, like how when it got tough and your body started aching in the fog and you couldn't see anything how did you get to the shore and she said this time I closed my eyes and I just pictured the shore the whole time I just knew the shore was right there and I just instead of looking at what I couldn't see I trusted and knew what was there and that's how I made it to the shore Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, said, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I think so many times we get so discouraged and so distracted, just like the enemy wants us to, because our eyes get fixated on the problem rather than the king who makes the kingdom possible and what he has in store for us in eternity. So I don't know where you're at today. I know I love you. I know I care a lot about your soul. But God does even more so. So I don't know if you are wheat. Now, I'm going to be praising Jesus forever with you in heaven because that's what heaven's all about. Or you might be Darnell, and you're like, man, I I don't know if I know Jesus. Well, let me encourage you. we got a phenomenal prayer team at this church that will be up here right after this service that would love to pray for you. And I I don't tell you there's a heaven or a hell to scare you. I tell you there's a heaven and hell because I love you and care about you and, and, and want you to know there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus personally and intimately and letting him do a work in your life that we can't do. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this church body and this family and your goodness and just your assurance that you give us through your word of who we are and most importantly, whose we are. So I just pray for all the viewers online. I pray for all the viewers here. Just pray, Lord, that this community And this world would know us as followers of you by the way we love other people. May people come to know you by the way we love them well. We love you and we're so thankful for all you do for us, Jesus. It is in your mighty, your matchless, your high, your holy name that I pray. And all God's people said.